again to the relationship game changers, the call, the call. We're here because we're called. We're here for the call. We're here to execute the call of the Lord on our life. And so we welcome you. We bless you. And um, I, I, I just can't say enough that I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we need each other more than ever in this hour. I mean, we need unity in the body of Christ. And um, what's happening in our nation, I believe and I pray and I engage that it is driving the true disciples of Christ closer together. And if all that there is is a remnant, I want to be part of that remnant of true disciples that will exalt Jesus Christ above everything I am, everything I have, that I exalt him above my race, I exalt him above my gender, I exalt him above my possessions, I exalt him above all. And I believe that God is gathering together his people by reason of sacrifice. And by that I mean just the willingness to lay down those things that divide us and pick up our crosses, the place of unification, and live according to Jesus Christ and his word. And so I thank each of you, you know, who faithfully joins each week as we declare kingdom principles and relationships. You know, I say, I say all the time, we are spirit beings. We are speaking spirits. And everything else we have, our race, our gender, our time, our money, our possessions, our, everything else that we have, where God has given us charge over, you know, he desires for us to use for his glory to expand his kingdom, to help people receive the kingdom. Jesus often said, receive the kingdom. And so we want to help people to be a facilitator of God's presence so that people can receive the kingdom. And so thank you for being here and getting strong and, and just banning together to declare the word of God. And if it's your first time here, I sincerely welcome you, and I pray that God will bless you in only a way that you can understand. I always say, God, bless your people in a language of their understanding. And so I pray that you are blessed in Jesus' name. If it is your first time, the format is very simple. I'll share a couple of announcements. Uh, then we'll pray. I will share uh, just briefly a word, and then we'll pray that word spoken. I believe in praying the word of God because God is obligated to perform his word. And so we want to always keep his word before him in Jesus' name. Uh, jumping for joy, many of you know that we have been uh, commissioned to go to every state in U.S. territory and proclaim kingdom marriage. Uh, that is the apex of human relationships, and it is the forerunner of every other relationship, or maybe forerunner is not the word, but every other relationship proceeds out of this relationship. And so we are committed as relationship game changers to uphold marriage the way God intended, not the way religion teaches us, but the way kingdom teaches marriage. And so we've been going, we just got back, we just did Washington, Maryland, and D.C., and, and Denver, and um, 
Hopefully by the next time I talk to you uh, next week, we will have firmed up where we will be next and just working out those details. Along those lines, or if you are in a capital city, we go to the capital in each city. So if you are in a capital city, then please let me know as we want to work together with people in the cities where they have jurisdiction that we can come alongside and together proclaim the word of God. So if you are in a capital city or are close to a capital city within an hour's drive, please text Amy at 678-754-0867. We can get this done a whole lot faster if we are working together. We can see this nation with kingdom marriage, that as God presents opportunities, it can spring up to his glory, and to the blessing and benefit of our nation. The other announcement I have for you tonight, starting Monday, August 17th, permission granted, the five-day challenge to be free from people-pleasing. And guys, more than ever, we need to be able to stand with God on our own, if no one stands with us, we must be able to execute the will of God. And, you know, as we are able to do this on our own, God is able to add people to us. And one of the things that undermines that is people-pleasing and our desire to please others. And so I want for five days we're going to be talking about 8 p.m. Eastern every night for about one hour. Uh, we will be talking about, it won't be all teaching, but we'll be interacting. We'll be talking about people pleasing. We'll be talking about how to think more about what God thinks of you than people. Resting in his approval and quit asking for other people's approval. I remember the time of my life, you know, I just, I had to ask permission for everything. I was talking to, um, I forget who it was, a gentleman came out, ah, no, 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 yes, yes, yes talking to a friend, and uh, he was just relaying to me that, uh, you know, when you come out of prison, because in prison you have to ask permission for everything, that he found himself asking for permission when he was home and when he was free. And so, you know, I just thank God that God's approval and his permission and his endorsement of us overrides what anyone else thinks. And here's the deal, guys. Men, men and women don't call people. God calls people, and men confirm or affirm people. So God has called each one of us, and we must become solid and resolved in his call upon our lives. And as we do and live out of that, then other people will confirm it and affirm it. But sometimes we wait too long to get approval before we start working out what God has put in us. And then being able to say no and mean it. How many times have you said no and changed your mind? Or the end of, or you say yes to everything. You know, you don't even have the time, but you constantly fill up your plate with stuff. And then showing up, speaking up, and taking relationships to the next level. As relationship game changers, we must be free of people pleasing. And so I want to extend that opportunity to you. Um, if you are a member of the Relationship Game Changers group on Facebook, then that challenge is free to you. 
So I encourage you to become a member. Uh, if you don't want to do that, the challenge is 1997, and all of the information is on the Facebook page, Relationship Game Changer. So check it out. There's a whole lot more detail there. We'll be doing live teaching, some interaction. We'll be doing easy take action exercises, and there'll be giveaways. There'll be giveaways. And so, yeah, if you guys are thinking about that three sessions to a breakthrough coaching and uh, it's not in the budget, it will be one of the giveaways. So you take part and we just see what God does <laughs> in Jesus' name. Well, let's pray. The Bible says and tells us that we ought to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so, Father, we enter your gates tonight. We enter with thanksgiving. We thank you today, God, for who you are. We thank you that you're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We thank you, God, that you own, Lord, heaven and earth, God, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, God. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, that you set the boundaries of the seas, God. You called forth the dry land. Lord, we thank you for giving us the sun and the moon, God. We thank you for giving us water today, God. We thank you, Father God. We thank you for the clothes we have on our back. We thank you for the, the houses and the shelters you've given us, God. We thank you, Father God, that you've given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And so we thank you today, and we declare we have everything we need. And, Father, help us to see that if we don't recognize that you've already answered our need, it could be because we've misdefined our need, and that if we would seek your kingdom first and your righteousness, then we will see that our need, our true needs, are answered because you're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. And so we thank you today, God. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We thank you that you love us and you're committed to us. And, Father, we just declare today, Lord, as we praise you, we praise you because the foundation of your throne is righteousness and peace, God. And we declare righteousness and peace in this nation, God. We thank you that you've given us a sector of righteousness, God, that we might rule in earth as you rule the heavens, God. So teach us, show us, God, how you rule in the heavens that we might manifest it here on the earth. Teach us, God, how to use rest and work to declare your glory, God. Lord, we thank and we praise you, Father God. We thank you for adding people to our lives, destiny helpers, God, that will help us, Lord, fulfill your will in our lives. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last week I talked about rest, and I said, that rest precedes receiving, and receiving precedes responding. So the, the, the activity or the exercise, if you will, or the model is rest, receive, respond. And the more we rest, the more we will receive. And the more we receive, the more we'll be capable of responding. And in that reception is the revelation of God. So we rest in order to receive revelation so we can know how we ought to respond. And that's what we talked about last week. And it's important that we rest and receive revelation so that we can respond because we are going to be tempted. We are tempted. And so tonight I want to talk about just 
a secret to overcoming temptation. Let me put a disclaimer here. I'm not saying this is the the definitive, all-inclusive, final word on temptation. I just want to take a few minutes and just share a few things that God has revealed to me about temptation that you might consider them and they might bless you as well. And the reason why we need to consider temptation is because our answer to temptation, our response to temptation, it affects our lives. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with ourselves, and it affects our relationship with others. And so temptation is not just about you. It's about your relationship with God, yourself, and others. So it's not just this immediate thing that's happening. It has implications beyond the actual temptation. So it's real important that we rest because we will be tempted. I remember in Matthew 4, at the end of Jesus being tempted, and the Bible says he was tempted in all ways like us. So there's not a temptation that you haven't experienced that he hasn't experienced. But at the end of the time of him being tempted, Uh, successfully overcoming temptation, the Bible says that the devil, the tempter, left him for a more opportune time, for a more opportune. So what might have that more opportune time look like for Jesus? I believe one of the opportune times was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was saying, not my will, but your will, where Jesus was distinguishing himself from his father. He was identifying with his humanity. And he was, you know, in the midst of this thing. And I believe that that is one of the tangible, concrete, more opportune times that Satan came back to him to challenge him. I'm sure there are others, but to me that is like um, you can't amplify the temptation in the garden. Uh, There are a few other scriptures that amplify Jesus' temptation than in the garden and in Matthew 4. And so it's a big deal. It's a big deal because when I think about all the, I mean, just simple things. Let's just not even get to where we are right now. But let's just say you're fasting and you feel a strong desire to eat chocolate cake or whatever your favorite thing is. Isn't it interesting that when you're fasting, you have all these visions about food? I mean, it's just like you can count it. Um, And it's like when you set out to do the will of God, the Bible says that Satan comes for the word. Oh, so you're going to fast. Really? Well, let me just play on your desire to eat because you know you need to eat because you're hungry, because all humans get hungry. And so he just pounces when we decide to do something or commit ourselves to doing something for the kingdom's sake. Fasting is one example, but what if you have bills to pay, but you saw those shoes, you've been watching those shoes in the store, and they just dropped to 50% off. These shoes are $150. They dropped to 50% off. And then, because you're a valued customer, they took another 25% off. So the shoes that you would have paid, you got for 45 or I don't know, maybe 20%, 25%. Of $150, so what, 30 bucks, 35 bucks? And you had to have, you've been eyeing these shoes. You passed them by because you just said they're just too much, too much. But you have a bill to pay. So you buy the shoes because they're calling your name. And you've waited for this time. 
but you have a bill to pay, and if you buy the shoes, then it's going to set you back on the bill you have to pay. Or how about when your spouse needs help, and you're on social media, you're on Facebook, and you just got into a great conversation with somebody, and your desire to finish that conversation competes with the desire to be able to help your spouse. Hmm. Or you're alone and you're flipping channels and a pornography channel comes up. So you by yourself, you're flipping channels, a pornography X-rated um, TV thing, uh, channel comes on and you have the urge to watch it. So you slowly think about whether you're going to flip the channel. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. The point is the urge to make a decision that when it comes to temptation leads to evil or leads to sin is very, very real. Or how about you're dating and you plan to marry and so you're struggling because you want to have sex, but you know that's his way to your marriage. You want to have sex with you. So, I mean, all of these things are very, very real things, and they not only impact you, your decisions, even in the scenarios that I've given you, they don't only impact you. They impact other people because if you have sex before you're married, if that's your decision, now you've involved somebody else in it. And if you're watching pornography then you're, and you're married, then you're involving your spouse in it indirectly. So there are all kinds of things that we get tempted by. And so when we think about it, it is a real, real big deal that we rest, we receive some revelation so that we can respond to these temptations appropriately. I mean, I think about one of the biggest temptations right now is what's happening in our nation. The level of fear and anxiety in our nation is off the charts right now. Satan is mad as a hornet, and he is throwing out all kinds of darts and things that raise our anxiety, our stress level, our fear. I mean, you know, someone told me today, you know, they're in a place and, and, and behind the mask, the people are unrecognizable. So can you imagine going to work and everybody shield up and mask up and you can't recognize your coworker? Or how about the bombardment of messages to social distance, wash your hands, wear your mask? You know, these signs are on the highway. I don't know if you're seeing them. We see them. I see them on the highway. Some are reporting that they're coming over the loudspeaker or the intercom uh, at, at their schools and at work. So we're constantly being barded with a fear message. And that's true whether we're Christian or not. And so we have to get a handle and begin to hopefully, if I uh, can share uh, thankfully, Lord, clearly, we need to have a perspective of temptation that looks at it from a broader perspective and not just you in the pornography channel or not just you in overeating or not just you and your fasting. It is a broader context that I want you to consider tonight. And so the dictionary definition of temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. The desire to do something, uh, something, especially something wrong or unwise. So now I want to share some scripture with you because I believe that we must be grounded in the scripture. We must arise from the scripture and we must deliver from the scripture because 
Satan understands and must respond to the word of God. And so we must speak the word and we must send the word to our circumstances and to our situation. So here we go. James 1-2 says this. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith develops patience. But let patience perfect its work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So temptation has a purpose. It's designed to develop patience. And if you unpack the word patience, in the midst of it is suffering. Patience is another word for suffering. So when you were a child and your parents said, wait, just wait a minute, it felt like it's like agony. Even now, God has promised us things. And people have prophesied about those things. And we hear those things. And, and, and we experience this agony in waiting. And yet, James says, it's precisely that agony, precisely that suffering that is strengthening you, perfecting you, so that you will lack nothing. Which also tells me that when we give in to temptation, there are things that we will by consequence lack. James 1.12 through 15 says this, When you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me, for God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desire and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So, my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. Wow. So there's a possibility that our desires fool us. There's a possibility that our desires lie to us. There's a possibility that our feelings are betraying the word of God. And James says, don't be deceived by your desires. You have them. Here's what the word temptation means, and it's the same in verse uh, James 1 and 2 and 12 and 15. It comes from the Greek word, and I, I don't know that I can pronounce it right, but it's P-E-I-R-A-Z-O, perezo. And it means a putting to proof by testing or experiment of good versus evil. It's an experiment of two things, good and evil. It is a putting to proof. It is a proving between good and evil. It's a provocation that's intended to get you to act or react in some way. Other words used for temptation are trials, adversity, tests. And so when we think about those things, um, 
all desires are not evil. Some of them are. All of them aren't evil, but some of them are. And yet, James is telling us we need to evaluate our desires so that we're not fooled by them. So so temptation is a proving ground. It's larger than... It's larger than, mm, I got to have that new car, so I'm going to roll the debt in this car over into the next car because I got to have that car. It's a proving of our desires. And so we could evaluate that desire and to see whether that is financially prudent. Evaluate your desire. What is it going after? What does it require you to do to have that thing? That's a great question. What does your desire require you to do to have that thing? Because once you understand what it requires you to do, then you can evaluate the efficacy of it. You can evaluate the goodness or the evil of that particular thing. What is my desire asking me to do? What is it requiring me to do? And I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a few minutes. But before that, I just want to read Hebrews 5, 7. It says of Jesus, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. What temptation was Jesus experiencing in the garden? I suggest it was a temptation to live and not die. I suggest he contended, although he did not succumb to the fear of death. Let me be clear. Temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with it that either qualifies it as a sin or that you have overcome it. So I suggest when Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, if there's some other way to get redemption for mankind, if there's some other way that you can accomplish this without me having to die, but nevertheless, God, your will, not mine. I believe that Jesus contended with the fear of death. I believe he contended with the fear of humanity. I'm sorry, not the fear of humanity, with his humanity, his desire to live. Because it is human to want to live. It is human nature. Human nature desires to live. That's why uh, Jesus said, he who seeks to save his own life will lose it. But he who is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Why was he saying that? Because right before that, Peter was telling him, you're not going to die. And Jesus put it to rest. He said, listen, your desire to live will cost you your life. But if you're willing to lose your life, then I will grant you life or I will give you life. What an amazing proposition. Jesus understood the desire to live, and yet he paired the sentence that if you seek to save your life, if you seek to answer that desire by doing everything you can to survive, then you're going to lose it. 
Oh, man, I can unpack that scripture with what's happening right now in our nation, but I'm not going to digress. <laughs> but he says, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, I'll give it to you. I give you life. So the real and true life is not by holding on to it. It's by letting it go. And the Bible says that Jesus learned these things through obedience, through the He's obedience through the things that he suffered. So I want to just give you six things about temptation that hopefully will expand the context when you find yourself tempted and that you won't zoom in so harshly on what's happening to you, but you'll be able to see it in the larger context. And because you can see it in the larger context, then you'll be able to evaluate your desire. See, even if your desire is legitimate, Satan will try to get you to fulfill it in illegitimate, sinful ways. And that's why I said all desire is not sin. All need is not sin. It's what you do with it that qualifies it as a sin or not. But when you see temptation in a larger context, then you'll be able to see your desire for what it is, but more importantly, you'll be able to ask the question, what is my desire asking or requiring me to do? And then once you understand that, then you can decide whether this is, this is the way you're going to go about fulfilling that desire, particularly if it's a legitimate desire. So I hope that makes sense. I can't see your face. That's why I want you to join the Relationship Game Changers membership because then I could see, well, I can't quite always see you. We're learning how to zoom in there, but at least we will be present uh, in a way that you can interact with me. It's very hard when you're not able to interact with me um, because I just have to go and, and speak in faith. So I trust God that you are with me as I give you these six things, and then I want to pray. The first thing is I want to say is that temptation is inescapable. It is part of the human experience. Uh, I want to use Matthew 4 just for a little bit because, uh, as I tell you all the time, I, I love Jesus. I love um, utilizing um, and um, using examples that involve Jesus because my my thought is, I'm trying to find this. Hold on, guys. Uh, my thought is this, that when Jesus is directly involved in something God is trying to communicate to us, and when he has words about it, and when he is sharing a direct, when a direct experience is being shared, in, in first person, his words, we ought to listen like nobody's business because this Jesus is God come in the flesh. This Jesus is, I mean, our salvation, everything hangs on him. So when he says something out of his own mouth, yeah, it trumps everything else to me. And he says things that line up with the word of God. But I like to start with him. So in Matthew 4, you remember it was right after Jesus fasted, you know, for 40 days. And then the, the Bible says the tempter, 
the tempter approached him. See, you can't have temptation without a tempter. And the tempter capitalizes. Oh, Amy's giving me a suggestion here. Hold on, guys. Let's see what her suggestion is. Oh, my gosh. I have this thing open. Jesus, I thank you, Lord. This technology belongs to you. Let me just see. This technology is belongs to you. Let me see. You could unmute if you want comments. Yes. Let me pause here before I give you these six things because I'm telling you, when you rest and receive the revelation of God, then in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the test, in the midst of the temptation, whether the desire is legitimate or not, then you will know how to respond to the glory of God. So I'm going to unmute this. If you have a comment or a question, star six, but, but please be quick because I want to give you these six things. So let me see. I'm just going to unmute everybody. Hold on. And, again, if you want to say something, just press star six. Where are we? Okay, Lord. Come on. Lord. Okay, here we go. So you don't even need to do that. You can just talk. You don't have to push star six. <laughs> yes. If you have a question or a comment. And if not, I'm going to assume that we are all on the same page, and I'm going to keep going. Just a couple more minutes. If you have a question, comment, thought, care, well, Amy, maybe we all are on the same page. All are on the same page. Praise God. I'm ready. Well, I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> all right. Well, let me continue. I'm going to go ahead and mute. Okay. So remember I said that temptation is inescapable. It is part of the human experience. As long as you are in your body, your earth suit, you will experience temptation. Um, And I told you at the end of Matthew 4, the Bible says, or the end of these temptations, the Bible says the devil left him. It says the devil left him and the angels came and served him. Another translation says the devil left him for a more opportune Time. So now going back to uh, Matthew 4, verse 3, it says, Then the tempter approached him. So you cannot have temptation without a tempter. There has to be a tempter, a trigger, a tempter. And it says the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So when you have a temptation, you have to understand you have to have the ability to perform the temptation. You have to have the ability to engage the temptation, to answer it. If you don't have the ability to answer the temptation, it is not a, it's not a temptation. You don't have the ability to carry it out. The temptation, you know, and, and that's why temptation, it just flashes images and all these kinds of things building your desire or you're building your desire. That's why it's so important what we look at. It's so important who we're listening to because all of those things feed desire in us. And so we don't want to feed desires that will make it harder for us to respond in the way God would have us. So he says, if you be the son of God, 
tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had the authority and the ability to do that. And Jesus answered, said, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, was Jesus hungry? Well, he had just fasted 40 days. So we must believe that Jesus had a desire to eat. He was human. He needed food. It was a legitimate desire. And yet Jesus said, yep, I might be hungry, but I'm not going to I'm not going to meet this need my way. I'm going to rely upon God. I'm going to let God meet this need because he said he would supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And if I asked my father for bread, he wouldn't present it to me in the form of a stone. That's in Luke. And so please understand, Jesus had a desire, a legitimate desire for something. He evaluated what he was being asked to do to fulfill that desire. He was being asked to turn stones into bread. He was being asked to use his authority to serve himself, to meet his need. He was was being asked by Satan to show off, to prove that he could supply his own needs. If Jesus would have done that, then we would have called him self-made, self-sufficient, self. He he could take care of himself. There'd be no need for the Father. But what he was showing us is that God promised to meet his needs. And you saw at the end where the angels came and ministered to him. And then Matthew, and so that was a crisis. That was a temptation of the flesh, a crisis of the flesh. And you and I have temptations and crises of the flesh. And then the Bible says the devil took him up to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. Now, I don't have time to unpack that whole verse. There's a whole lot more to it. What I want you to just see here right now, this was a crisis or a temptation of the soul of the, the, the desire to be um, significant, the desire to be uh, uh, important, the desire to feel a certain way. Uh, he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, which means if he was at the pinnacle of the temple and, and in his mind at the pinnacle of the temple, that means there were likely people in the temple or around the temple. And who would you want to know that you're the son of God by all the people in the temple or around. Remember, he was at the temple. The temple was a place of gathering. The temple was a place of people. And Satan was asking him, hey, look, show everybody that you're God. Show everybody that you're God's son. He said, he said you know, stand, you know, go up here and, and throw yourself down. For surely God is going to show off and protect you. Surely God's going to come to your rescue. And Jesus said this, do not test the Lord your God. Jesus understood what we read in James, God tempts no one. So that Jesus was not going to put himself in a situation where he asked God to prove himself in a way that served or massaged his ego. And a lot of times that's what soulish temptation is about. It's about, it's about massaging our egos. It's about massaging our ego. So when we exaggerate the results of something, when we, 
when we embellish things. It's about our ego. It's about how we want to be perceived. And Jesus had no desire to be perceived in any other way than that he was the son of God and all of who God made him to be in that moment is the son of God. That's who he was. He was content with it. It was enough for him, and he didn't need the massaging of his ego. And so many of us, we, we want our egos massaged. We want attention. We want to be found significant. We want to be important. Look, we're all guilty. Some of us just are humble enough or just sober enough to admit it. And so that's a crisis, that temptation. There's a temptation of the soul. And then the last temptation was the temptation of the spirit. The Bible says, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I'll give you all of these things, and you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Ultimately, what Satan is after is not your flesh. He's not ultimately after, per se, what your soul. He's after your worship. And we worship in spirit and in truth. And when we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, it is reflected in our soul. It's reflected in what we think. It's reflected in the, in, in the decisions we make. It's reflected in how, in how we allow ourselves to feel and what we do. So when we're worshiping God, it incorporates your soul and your flesh. So while everybody thinks Satan's after your flesh, he really wants your worship. And so temptation ultimately is about stealing your worship. Why? Because Satan said, I'm going to sit on the mountain of congregation. He, he has a congregation, and he wants you to be a part of it. And he wants worship to be the center, your worship to be the center of his throne. He is imitating God. So whatever he sees or understands of God, he's just imitating it. So he wants your worship. And temptation is inescapable as part of your human experience. Jesus experienced it. Ultimately, it's about your worship. Secondly, the tempter will capitalize on your needs and desires. We talked about this. All of your needs and desires are not wrong. All of them are not um, sinful. There's some some desires we have, and particularly perhaps before we received Christ and, and began conforming to the word and the will of God, and maybe still some. Some of our desires are evil. We, we sh- that's why we ask, one, what is this desire? Is it a legitimate desire? So if I have the desire to go out and rob a bank, that's an illegitimate desire because it's stealing from another. So we don't even have to get to the question of what is the desire asking me to do because the desire is wrong. The desire is antichrist. The desire is unbecoming of a kingdom citizen. So we don't even have to ask the next question. So the first question you might ask is, what is the nature of this desire? The second question is, what is the desire asking me to do? And then thirdly, temptation is a proving ground. It's designed to establish who and what you will worship. Every choice you make is an act of worship. It's an act of service to someone and something. It's a proving ground. We read the Greek word piazo. 
So your temptation is intended. It's a proving ground. It proves who you are. It proves what you say. You know, all the time, I don't know why this keeps coming back to me, and I don't know if they're unmarried folks that desire to be married on here, but, but, but it's interesting to me how quickly folks that are dating and, you know, moving toward marriage and they're planning all this, and they just choose to, to have sex with each other, and here's how they justify it. Well, we're going to get married anyway. So what's the nature of the desire? And when I put it against the plump line of the word, even though you're going to get married, the desire, it doesn't line up with who we say we are in Christ. Cohabitation doesn't line up with the word of God. And this isn't, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to say anything to condemn. I just want us to be aware of the nature of what we're dealing with because temptation The tempter wants your worship, and he uses temptation, tempting you by capitalizing on your desires and needs, some of which are legitimate, some of which are not. What we can do is ask the nature of the desire, and what is the desire asking me to do? Number four, temptation is not a sin. How you respond to it is a sin. Number five, temptation is being caught between two choices. Whenever you find yourself tempted, you're in, you're between two choices. If it's a legitimate desire that you have and you are tempted to answer that desire and you've determined that the desire is legitimate, then the temptation is about answering it in a wrong way. So, example, if I am tempted because I need more money at the end of the month to pay bills, that is a legitimate need that I have for more resource. But if now I take the next step and say, you know what, I was just over so-and-so's house and they had, they had you know, I saw just a few hundred dollar bills laying around. I really need those bills because I have to pay this bill, and I, I pay my bills on time. And I decide that, I, that that's the answer to my desire. The, 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 the need is right. The desire to have resources is right. The methodology is wrong. And if I engage that methodology, no matter how legitimate the need, the answer is sin because it involves stealing. So when you have a legitimate need or a desire, how you answer it becomes the temptation. Temptation is not a sin. It's how you answer it that's a sin. It's being caught between two choices, and and the choice between a legitimate desire, do it my way or do it God's way. Illegitimate desire, I'm doing it my way. And then the last thing, number six, temptation is suffering. I, I want to read this scripture to you. I read it earlier, but I, I really want to read it again because we don't we, we we look at when we're tempted, and those of us who have ever given in to temptation and we've sinned and we've incurred the consequences of that. Sometimes they've been really painful, and 
We've had to suffer some things because of the decision we made to engage that temptation. But I want to suggest to you in Matt, and I'm sorry, Hebrews 2.18 it says, For since he himself, speaking of Jesus, has suffered when he was tempted. So this is what I want you to see. Temptation is a suffering. He suffered when tempted. He didn't, he, you'll suffer after if you give in to the temptation. But what I want you to see is that when you are tempted, there is a suffering, there is a tension, there is a, an, an, an urging, a compelling, an anxiety, a tension that you experience on the inside. You know, again, I use the example of premarital sex. If you're, you're a Christian, you, you know it's wrong, you, it's written in your heart, you believe it's wrong, but your hormones, everything's raging, you're going to get married anyway, if you stay in that space between two choices long enough, you're going to experience suffering, extreme suffering. And the greater and the longer you stay in the place, the stronger the suffering becomes and the weaker your ability to overcome it. Temptation is suffering. It's suffering between two choices. The longer you stay in that valley of indecision or that temptation, the suffering, the anxiety will increase and your ability to respond appropriately in a godly manner will decrease. So it's important that when we think about temptation, we see it that it is a proving ground for Satan to win your worship. He can't just take your worship from you. He has to win it. He has to win it from you. He has to get you to believe that what you are, that the answer, see, most people don't sin because they see a placard on what they want to do called sin. Most people sin because they believe it is an answer to a real need or a desire. I'm not talking about illegitimate needs and desires. I'm talking about legitimate needs and desires. When you perceive something as the answer to a legitimate need or desire, but it requires you to do things that are condemned in the word of God, or it requires you to worship God, I worship Satan, worship the tempter, then it becomes a problem. There are only two alternatives, guys. Either we're going to worship God or we're going to worship Satan. And that's why rest is so important, and I keep coming back to it, because you and I will not be able to withstand the onslaught of the adversary if we are not praying if we are not fasting and if we are not resting in the presence of the Lord. And that resting is not for you to go give God your laundry list of prayers. I literally mean being still, being quiet, either meditating on one scripture or being still, not blanking your mind out. This isn't new age. It's about focusing. And Bible says, if as we behold him, 
We become like him. So what aspect of him do you want to become? That's the aspect, that's the characteristic that you should be beholding because as you behold that characteristic, you are being changed, you are being conformed to that very thing. And that's what happens in the resting. That's why it says be still and know him. When you're resting, you're receiving a revelation of him. And when you hold that image, that revelation of him, then you are being changed into that very thing. And then what happens is now the temptation comes, and now you're able to respond in a way that glorifies God, in a way that worships God, in a way that honors God, in a way that brings God pleasure And by doing so, and each time you overcome temptation, you grow in authority, you grow in influence, and you grow in your ability to lead. And that's what God needs now, people that are relationship game changers, that are able, that know that they were created for him, for his pleasure, and that they're overcoming temptation. And if we can't overcome temptation in the little things, my friend, we won't overcome it in the big things. We won't. So this is our proving time, our proving ground. This is our practicing time. And so every day, you know, we might consider what it is. You know, let's pay attention. What is my flesh urging me to do? Or what is my, my, what is my soul want? Why do I need this attention right now? Why do I get so angry when people don't appreciate me? What is that feeding? Because as a kingdom citizen, we must be able to live on every word that proceeds out of the word of God, nothing else if we have to. So what's the secret to overcoming temptation? Understanding that it's inescapable. It will happen to you over and over again. The devil came to Jesus at more opportune times. Overcoming tem- the secret to overcoming temptation is understanding that it capitalizes on your needs and, le- and your desires, and it capitalizes on the legitimate needs and desires. But it also capitalizes on those evil desires that we have not allowed the Lord to purge from us. The secret to overcoming temptation is understanding that it's a proving ground, and you're proving who you worship. You're proving who you are. The secret to overcoming temptation is understanding that just because you're tempted, you're not sinning. But how you respond to it determines whether you have sinned. And then the secret to overcoming temptation is understanding that you're caught between two choices. And the longer you allow yourself to stay in between those two choices, the temptation gets stronger and your ability to respond in a way that honors God decreases. And thirdly, Temptation is suffering. It, it is suffering. It's not you will suffer if you sin. You will suffer if you sin. But temptation, the actual trial, is suffering in itself. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you tonight. I thank you for just, Lord, not even giving in an exhaustive study on temptation, but just giving some practical context for temptation. And, Lord, that you at one point said that it was necessary that offenses come, because offense is a trial. It's a test. It's necessary that offenses come, that temptations come, to prove what is in, in us, and that these things sometimes come for the very word that has come out of our mouth. 
and the desires that are in our heart. And so tonight, God, we lay ourselves on your altar. We lay our desires on your altar. We lay our needs on your altar. And, Lord, we declare that we will seek ye first your kingdom and trust that you will add all of our needs and desires to us according to your wealth. You said that if we delight ourselves in you, you would give us the desires of our heart. So there's no need we have, Father, no desire we could even fathom that you haven't already provided for. So teach us, Lord, how to wait on you and renew our strength, that we can mount up as eagles, that we can run and respond and not become weary by the struggle that temptation presents to us. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone on this line. Father, I declare that they are overcoming temptation by the blood of the Lamb, the testimony of Jesus Christ at work within them. And because they love your life, they love you more than they love themselves in their own life. So, Father God, I thank you today. I thank you, Lord, even as we prepare, God. Lord, deliver us, God. Deliver us, God, from every dependency, everything that compromises our ability to declare righteousness and peace in this nation. Spirit of truth, come. Be quick and powerful and sharper than in a double-edged sword and pierce, distinguish our soul from the spirit, the desire, God, the nature of it and what it's asking us to do. Lord, distinguish the joints and the marrow, God, and yea, even what we think from why we're thinking it, God. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen us. You've called us, Lord, and set us. You've planted us in the earth that we would go forth and bring forth fruit, and that fruit would remain. And so, Father God, we thank you for planting us in the earth, in the relationships you have given us. Now give us the audacity of faith and the audacity of your love to defy temptation and overcome it that you might, like you sent to Jesus, the angels to meet every need. And so we believe you tonight and we put our hope in you. And we thank you for meeting our needs and fulfilling our desires. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. I'm going to take just a couple minutes. I know it's 9 o'clock. Per chance, there is a comment or a quick question. I will take time to answer it. More important to me than just getting everything out I want to say is that that what is being said is caught, that, that you can run with it, that you can be successful with it in your own lives. And, and so if you have a question or a comment, I'm not going to belabor it. If nobody does, we'll keep moving on, and we'll give you the replay number, and we'll go from there. But if you have a question or a comment, then you'll need to star six, and we'll be able to hear you. You star six will be able to hear you. 
if not Amy gets prepared to jump on and if there's anything I miss then uh, you'll make that known to me again if you have a question or a comment star six you guys are a mighty quiet group of people <laughs> I think there's always a delay you know with um, the phone or zoom when when there are questions there's always a bit of a delay as people process okay um, information so what I'll say is this if, if you have a question and can star six cool and if you still need time to process but do have a question you can jump on if you're on Facebook you can go on to relationship game changers and just ask on the page or you're welcome to text me at six seven eight five four zero eight six seven and I'll make sure to get the questions to Kim and we can answer them next week if, if something comes up as you're pondering the information. Amen. Well, I guess we're good to go then. Let me give you the replay number for today's call. It is uh, 678. I'm sorry, I'm giving you Amy's number. <laughs> Forgive me, guys. It's 605 475 Four nine eight zero. The access code is three four one zero 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 pound, and the reference number for today's call is one one three pound one thirteen pound one one three pound. You can also go on Spotify, and I will upload this to Spotify, and you will be able to access this. Uh, the reference number on Spotify will be 113, and you'll also have access to all the previous um, calls that we've done. I think we go back, I don't know, maybe to January. I'm not sure. But you'll have access to those calls as well. Well, I love you. I bless you. I thank you so much um, for just being here, hanging out, and just, just, just for um, making it easy to share the Word of God. I bless you in Jesus' name. And don't forget, go check out the the challenge, Permission Granted, five-day challenge, be free from people-pleasing. God has little use for people-pleasers. doesn't mean he won't use them, but we must grow beyond pleasing people if we are going to fulfill the will of God on our lives. And so I want you to be a part of that challenge with me. I invite you to be part of it. Um, if you need more information about that, um, text Amy 678-754-0867 or go on Facebook Relationship Game Changers. All of the information is there. If you are a member of Relationship Game Changers, the group, the challenge is free to you. Otherwise, it is 1997. I think that's it. Oh, on Spotify, if you do download that app, you'll need to type in Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. I still haven't changed the name of it, but that's where you'll find all of the recordings. Well, again, I love you. Amy loves you. We bless you. We appreciate you so much in Jesus' name. And we will see you on the call next week. I guess I'll hear you on the call next week. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you.